2 this morning. James chapter number 2. We've been working through the book of James as a church for the last probably about 12 messages or so. And uh, we've been uh, working verse by verse through the book of James. And we're going to continue doing that today. And so thank you for being with us here this morning. And uh, we're just, you get to plug right into what we've been walking through for the last couple of months. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we'll have the, the verses on the screen here in a few moments when we get to them. Uh, but uh, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Today's a special day as we celebrate Community Sunday. We want our community to know that we love them and uh, we love you. We're thankful that we are in Whitehall. The Lord could have put us anywhere in the entire world, but God puts you right where you are. And so whether you're in Whitehall or Butte or Sheridan or, or somewhere around this area, we are thankful that you made your way here this morning. And I can already tell you this morning, I was, all the, I was on the other side over there smelling the chili. And looking at the dessert, maybe sneaking a couple pieces when nobody was looking. But listen, it's going to be a good day. And so I'm excited for all the food and stuff after the service. And so we'll jump right into things this morning. And, uh, and then we'll get through that so we can get over to that part here in just a few moments. But I hope that you'll uh, not let the, the smell of the chili and smell of all that other stuff take away from what we're going to be looking at this morning in James chapter number 2. You know, as, as I was thinking uh, about this message and thinking about some different things with regards to this message, um, I... I, I I was thinking about my kids, and it's, it's interesting because with children, you get into all kinds of interesting conversations, right? Uh, with our kids, uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are a big part of our life, more, more so than I ever dreamed they would be. And so, you know, they're, they're, that's, a, that's a big, big part of our life. This time of the year, we have to spend a lot of time talking about the things that they see when it comes in forms of decorations around the house and maybe something that they see on TV. A, a couple, of, about a week and a half ago or so, uh, Tressa was, was, uh, took our kids down the road and, and uh, they, they were at a, at a uh, coffee shop and as they were there, they saw something, Jackson, our youngest, who's three years old, saw something, uh, a Halloween TV show playing on the TV, and uh, since then he has not slept, and so it's been a tremendous blessing, and uh, we've spent a great deal of time discussing that, talking about that over these last couple of weeks, but one thing in particular that we've talked about a lot here recently, and uh, again, I, I don't know where these conversations come from, where they stem from, but we spent a lot of time talking about rockets and spaceships, okay? Uh, that's something that's, that we've spent a lot of time discussing, and in fact, the other day we were talking about it, and Jay Sass, he said, how fast does a, does a spaceship go? How fast does a rocket ship go? And uh, the answer was kind of astounding to me. I didn't realize how fast they actually went. Um, and I, I mean, maybe you already know, but I didn't know. Um, they said that the average speed, or the, I don't know if it's the average speed or the top speed of a spaceship is 17,500 miles per hour. Now, that's a trivia question you can take with you to the next you know, game that you play or whatever. 17,500 miles an hour, that means you could go across the United States in about 12 minutes. I mean, like that would be really nice for visiting family on other parts of the, uh, the U.S., right? You know, kind of an amazing thing. But as I was thinking about this thing of, uh, of spaceships and rocket ships, naturally as a, as a parent, uh, you just continue thinking about these things. And as I was thinking about that, uh, my mind went back to kind of a, a thought experiment that I'd heard at one point. And someone was talking about, you know, if you were going to try to get on a spaceship and, and, and take a trip to the sun. Now, if you're like me, the, the first question is, why would you go to the sun? You're going to die. But, you know, okay, humor me, all right? If you're going to get on a spaceship and, and take a trip to the sun, but you started off just one degree off. I mean, just one degree, right? You know, just, just the slightest little bit, uh, you know, and you, and you took off from, and you launched off one degree off. You know, when you got about a thousand yards away, it wouldn't be that big of a difference. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. In fact, at a thousand yards, you'd only be off your course by about... 5.2 feet. I mean, just, just a little bit. I mean, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. After a mile, you'd be off your target course by about 92 feet. 
a little bit more. After traveling about 380 miles, which is about the distance from San Francisco to Los Angeles, you'd be off by about six miles. I mean, now you, I mean, you could see it, but, but I mean, like, you'd be off by, by a little bit. After traveling the distance of the moon, suddenly now it really started to make a difference. You'd be off course by about 4,169 miles. That's about the twice the diameter of the moon itself. And finally, at the time you should be arriving at your destination, the sun, and be burning up, you would be off of your final destination's course by 1.6 million miles. All because you started off being just a little bit off by one degree. You know, there's immense power in, in one, in, in one thing, you know, and, and uh, it, one, the one, one degree is literally the difference between, you know, hot water and boiling. One degree is the difference between cold water and, and, and an ice cube, right? I mean, there's, there's a difference between, and there's immense power in, in just one. As we've been studying through our book of James here, and if you're joining us here maybe for the first time and you haven't been with us as we've been walking through the book of James, let me give you a little bit of background. This, this book that we're in is entitled after the person that wrote it, James. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's an incredible thing. Um, because as you study the life of James, the half-brother of Jesus, we find out that, that when, when James was younger, when he was growing up, that he didn't believe that his brother Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that he was the Savior of the world. And, and let's just be honest. I mean, like, if, if it had been your brother, you probably would have thought the same thing. I've got siblings, okay, and I know how, what I think of them. And, and Savior is not one of the words that comes to mind, right? You know? But Jesus was different. He never sinned. He never failed. And James, he rejected him at first, but later would come to accept his own brother, Jesus Christ, his half-brother Jesus, as his own personal Savior. James would go on to eventually pastor the megachurch at Jerusalem. It was the first megachurch that came into existence. In fact, many scholars believe that that church ran anywhere from 25,000 to 30,000 people in that congregation. You talk about a megachurch, that's crazy, that's unbelievable. But before James became the megachurch pastor in Jerusalem, he was actually the first one to dip his pen in ink and record for us the New Testament book that we're looking at this morning. Look with me, if you will, the, the, verse, the words that we're going to see this morning. Look with me, if you would, at James chapter number 2, verse number 8. The words that he wrote, he said this, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But then he says this, but if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as a transgressor, as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. See, before Matthew, Mark, Luke... Or John recorded their Gospels. Before the Apostle Paul penned his first epistle, James wrote this book to these young believers. Now last week, we, we began our study into chapter number 2, and, and we, we saw as James pointed out a problem that was taking place in their church. That problem was, was that the church 
the members of that church were showing favoritism. Now, if you're like me, at first glance, I, I think favoritism, you know, is that really that big of a deal? But, but James, by inspiration of God, says, yeah, it is. It is a big deal. And the main reason that it was a big deal is because it revealed their selfishness. James gave us the example, as the extreme example of two people that walked into the congregation. One that was very clearly affluent, somebody that had lots of money. And another that came in that was very clearly very destitute and poor. And he said, listen, he said, this guy that's poor, you're, you're casting him aside and saying, you know, hey, you're just kind of a nuisance. Go stand over there. Go sit over there. But the guy that's got the money, you're coming over to him and you're really catering to him. And he said, really, let me, what it's really doing is revealing your selfishness because this guy can't maybe do anything for you. But this guy, what could you get from him? He said, your favoritism is revealing your selfishness. But he said this, more than anything, it's distracting you from the most important thing. He said, while you're so concerned with this guy that has money and this person over here that doesn't have any money, you're concerned with what this guy can do for you and this guy that can't do anything. He said, you're missing the most important thing. Both of them have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And you're forgetting that that's more important than anything materialistic." You know, it was no accident that James dealt with this, we could probably say it this way, kind of a subtle sin. Something that by our estimation we look at and say, you know, I mean, like there's some, in our, in our minds, at least in my mind, you know, there's some big sins and there's some, some little sins, you know, some, some smaller ones, that, some ones that, you know, that we are easy to say, you know, it's not that big of a deal, just kind of let that one slide by. Favoritism would kind of fit in, in that category. It's, no, it's no, uh, no, no mistake that James used that as his example. And I believe James used this, drew attention to, to this type of sin, this subtle sin for one reason. He wanted to show the power of one sin no matter how small we may perceive that it is. The power of just one sin. Now before we can dive into what he says here about the power of of one sin, we, we have to first kind of come to an agreement, okay? We, we have to come to a contractual agreement. Now, I'm not going to have you sign anything this morning, but, but, but just mentally, you know, go with me because it's important that we determine something this morning because if we're going to understand just how important this is, how vital it is, we have to come to this agreement. And what is that? That there is a final authority, a final authority. You see, in James's day, just like our day, there was a muddying of what was right and what was wrong. The, there, there was a, a confusion of, of, of what, what was right and, and, and what was considered sin. And, and James in verse number 9, he says, But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. What was he saying? saying listen, there's a, there's a final authority. And, and, and in James' day, there was no doubt this, this issue that, that's very similar to the one that we have today. When right and wrong is left up to opinions of man, then things can get very, very confusing. Very confusing. Now, we, we, the, the truth is, is we, we abuse the, uh, the time out of an illustration that I often give, but I feel like it deserves to be abused, and that, that illustration that we give is how much... Olives are disgusting, okay? If you, if you come to Wyoming Baptist Church, you know that almost every week we talk about how, how disgusting olives are. I feel like it's for the purposes of my life to convince you that they are just absolutely awful and a disgusting thing. Amen. And uh, Amen. Yes. Oh, whoa. Okay. We got, we got one convert here. Amen. All right. There, there we are. Hey, listen. There, there are some people in this room 
that, that clearly have a closer relationship with God than others that would agree with me that olives are disgusting, okay? There's, there's some. While there are others that, that are just lost souls, okay, who have been deceived into believing that something like an olive is something that is good to eat. And we would, I mean, it's just, it's disgusting to me. I don't understand how you can accept this. Um, now, now, I think, I feel like we should all be able to, to go around here, and at the end of the day, we should all come to that conclusion that, that they're disgusting. But I, I understand that that's not possible. But at the end of the day, at least we can come to the, to the conclusion that I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, I, I feel like that's something that we can at least come to, to an agreement on. No, no, listen. What, what's right for me may not be right for you when it comes to food, okay? And when it comes to olives in particular, no matter how much I may believe it, no matter how much, I may, how much I may base my convictions upon it, just because I might say one thing is right doesn't necessarily mean that it's right when it comes to food. And, and while that's okay with food preferences, it isn't the same when it comes to matters of morality. When it comes to matters of Scripture. See, as, as someone that claims to be a Christian, and, and many, we, we live in a Christian nation, at least that's what we've titled ourselves. As, as I claim to be a Christian, what, part of what that means is I'm claiming to submit myself to a higher authority. Final authority, that, that authority being God. And God was so good that He gave us a book that we could live by called the Bible. And while this book doesn't cross every I, or doesn't dot every I, doesn't cross every T on exactly what every sin that you could dream up has to say, there are principles that we find in the scripture that help us to determine what is right and what is wrong. We, we all have a final authority in our life. It's just the truth of the matter. Every person in this room has a final authority. For most, that final authority, that's, just let's be honest with you, most of us, the final authority is not this book. We may say that it is. But for most, the final authority is ourselves. Yeah. We make ourselves the final authority. See, Psalm 119, 133, the psalmist said this, and, and this, this is key. He says, order my steps in thy word, and let not iniquity or sin have dominion over me. In, in Psalm 119, verse 105, he said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the same chapter, in verse number 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in, in heaven. See, today we must choose what is going to be the final authority of our life. And I want to encourage you to make that final authority not your opinion that's subject to change. Not some man's opinion that's subject to change. Don't make your th final authority this pastor here. Now listen, I know nobody in this room walked in here and was like, pastor's my final authority this morning nobody thought that okay but but listen don't make some man your final authority because there are people that that do that there are religions that do that no no no. don't make any of those things your final authority make one thing your final authority this this book see i grew up in a church that much of my life was spent time telling me what i should do and what i shouldn't do but can i tell you where it didn't come from from here it came from some man's preferences came from some man's opinion. And listen, friend, can I encourage you, don't, don't just let it be based on some man. Make your final authority this book. Why? Because this book has no contradictions. It has no mistakes. You see, at the end of the day, this book that was written over a period of about 1,400 years by roughly 40 different authors... 
And everything in it agrees with one another. It is either the greatest hoax that's ever been put on. Or it is what it says it is. It's the word of God. And if it is the word of God, the one who created you and me and the world that we live in, the one that gave us a soul, then friend, can I encourage you, choose to listen to what it says. And that means when we call, when God's word calls something sin, it isn't up for debate. There's no, what, what, what's true for you may not be true for me. No, no, no. When it comes to the Bible, what the Bible says needs to be the final authority. You see, we live in a generation that Isaiah talked about. Now listen, this, this generation has been all throughout history. But, but this generation, Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 5.20, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put forth darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, you understand? He said, listen, there's generations that are coming that's going to say, oh yeah, this this is fine, this is good, and this is bad. And they're going to mix those things. And they're going to call something that's evil good, and they're call something good evil. Do you understand we live in that world today? Can I tell you, there's some things that the Bible just says is wrong, and it's wrong. There's some things that the Bible says is right, and it's right. It's not up to you and me. It doesn't matter if I stand up here and I, and I give you my opinion at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what I think. The only thing that matters is what this book says. Paul, Paul dives into it and talks about the same generation in Romans chapter number 1. Verse number 21, he says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. That, that, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Don't we live in an unthankful generation? But they became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Man, don't we have, uh, I'll, I'll say it the polite way, don't we have a bunch of educated dummies? Okay. Yeah, you understand, education doesn't equate to common sense, right? <laughs> Professing them to be wise, they, they became full. That, by the way, there's nothing wrong with education. I'm not saying education's bad. What I'm saying is that's not all the answer, okay? Professing themselves wise, they became fools and changed the glory of uncorruptible God to an image made into corruptible man, into bird and four-footed beast and creeping things. So what did God do? Well, God gave them over to their uncleanness. Through the lust of their own heart. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Hey, do you know what the creature is? Can I tell you what it is? It's you and me. Worship and serve ourselves more than the creator. Friend, if you walked in this morning believing that you were the final authority on right and wrong, can I tell you... Not from my opinion, but based upon the scripture, you're wrong. God saw you coming. And there is a final authority. And no matter how many times I slip into this mindset of thinking, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. And I challenge you this morning that there's a higher authority and his name is God. And this is his book. And I challenge you to live according to it. So if this book is the final authority, then verses 10 and 11 in James gives us a problem. Because verses 10 and 11 tells us the power of one sin. Look with you at the screen or in your Bibles at verse number 10. The Bible says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend or break one point, he is guilty of all. 
For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou committed not adultery, but if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law, a breaker of the law. Now listen, while we may, may try not to be a repeat offender of breaking God's law, James says, that isn't what I'm worried about. And that's not what I'm telling you to worry about. James says, if you break God's law even one time, even something as simple as showing favoritism that we may dismiss as not that big of a deal... Something that demonstrates your selfishness. He says this, you're guilty of breaking the law of God. You're guilty of breaking this book, the commands of this book. He goes on to give two extreme examples. I love this. Just, just after James gave a subtle example of sin, where he said, hey, you shouldn't show favoritism. Then he gives an extreme example. We, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago that God oftentimes uses extreme examples to, to, to convey subtle truths. And that's what he does here. He says, listen, he says in verse number 11, uh, you know, I, Jesus said, don't, don't commit adultery. He said, also don't kill. He said, now if thou commit adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Now, I hope that nobody came into this room today and as their defense, they said, well, listen, I'm not a thief. I'm only a murderer. Okay? I hope you didn't, you didn't do that. Okay? I hope you didn't come in and say, listen, no, no, no. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an adulterer. I love my sm- spouse. I, I'm just a, a killer. I mean, like, I, I hope that's not, that wasn't how you came in today. I, I heard a, a story about a, a couple that had been married for, for many, many years. And, and uh, I know we've got some young couples in this room. And, and so you can take this advice uh, into your life. They were asked, what was the secret to the success of their marriage? They said that they had removed the word divorce from their dictionary. That's a good thing to do. They said it's, they just they refused to use it. It wasn't even in their vocabulary. wasn't in their dictionary. They said when 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 we said till death do us part, we meant it. They never had considered divorce. However, the loophole until death do us part always meant murder was on the table, which kept each other in check. Okay, I mean, like it was uh, you know maybe I don't know maybe that's uh, I don't know that's good advice. Or not, okay? Listen, th- this extreme example that James uses, he's, he's getting across the point to these young believers. Listen, you're busy boasting about the sins that you haven't committed without realizing you're guilty because of the ones that you have. You're busy boasting about the things that you haven't done. Oh, no, I, I haven't murdered him. Or, no, I haven't committed adultery. Or, or, no, I don't show favors. No, 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 I don't do those things. And God says, yeah, but you're guilty of these ones over here. We talked a couple weeks ago about how much I hate religion. And when it's referring to its general definition, the religion itself that's, that's based in a list of do's and don'ts. A scale that we have that, that's used to weigh our good versus our bad to determine if we're good enough to receive eternal life. Religion, listen, that's the problem. Religion is the problem. Can I tell you, it's the problem with Buddhists. It's the problem with Baptists. It's the problem with Catholics and Methodists and Muslims and Mormonism and every other type of religion that's out there. Every other denomination. Religion is the problem because it's all about what I can do to obtain eternal life. Now, today, if we're going, listen, we are, you already agreed with me, okay? I'm just assuming, okay, that, that we're going to make this book the final authority. Instead of being some religion, instead of, hey, listen, everybody today, hey, hey, listen, I, I revoke your Baptists, okay? Okay, you're not Baptists anymore. I revoke whatever denomination you walk in today. Instead of being one of those things, let's be a Biblicist, okay? Let's be a Biblicist. Because, listen, I know this, we're a Baptist church, but there's a lot of crazy Baptists out there, okay? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I'm telling you, some in this church. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, th- there are. I mean, that's just the truth. 
So let's not, let's not be Baptists this morning. Let's not be some denominator. Let's be Biblicists. What's the Bible have to say? Well, this book says, according to this verse, in verse number 10, that if you fail in one point, then you're condemned a sinner. You're condemned of the whole thing. You become a transgressor, is what the Bible says, a, a sinner of the law. When we were in, in Bible college, I've, I've shared this before, but one of the first times that I went out and we were inviting some people to church, and uh, they're in California. It's the only place this would happen. We were, we were in California. We're out. We're inviting people to church, and, and we went to, to a lady's house. We knocked on the door, and she opened up the door, and it was me and my, my roommate. We were standing there, and, and we got talking with her a little bit, and, uh, and, and we said this. We said, have you... Have you ever sinned before? I mean, like, we're, we're kind of walking down this road, and we got to that point, you know, we invited her to church and everything, and she's conversing with us. And we said, have you, ever, have you ever sinned before? And she said, no, I've never sinned. And, like, at that moment, I was like, yes, we got her. I mean, like, you know, this lady, she, clearly she's, she's never accepted Christ because she doesn't believe she's a sinner. It's like, man, this is going to be, this is cakewalk, okay? Little did I know where I was, okay? I said, yeah. I said, have you ever sinned before? She said, no. And I'm like, look at my chaps. All right, here we go. And and so we we walked through the thing. So, well, have you ever, have you ever even told a little lie? You know, even a little white lie. You know, just a little one. Have you ever, ever done that before? She said, no, I've never done that. Okay. So, well, well, have you, have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? You know, stick a gum. Have you ever, you know, taken a little bit of your boss's time? You know, have have you ever stolen something before? Because if you've stolen something, that makes you a thief. She said, no, I've never never done that. Have you ever thought a wrong thought before? I mean, like, have you ever like, gotten angry at somebody and, and you know, and you're, oh, you just got really vicious and really upset at them? Has that ever happened to you? And, and she looked me square in the eye and she says, no, I've never done that. Literally, at that moment, I thought I should take off my shoes because I thought I was standing on holy ground or something. I didn't know what to do. I mean, like, what do you do with that? I mean, like, she, she believed that she wasn't. Now, maybe she was just pulling my leg because she saw a couple of young bucks that didn't know what they were doing. But I mean, like, that, that was literally what, what she said. Listen, friend, can I help you today? You're a sinner. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's bad news, but it just is. And listen, I are one too, okay? You know, we're, we're, all, we're all in the same boat on this. We, we are all sinners. And if you're here today, here's the truth. It, it, that lady said she wasn't a sinner, but if I could have brought in her husband or, or maybe one of her kids or, or definitely her parents, they would have told me that she was, okay? And that's the truth about you as well, okay? If you don't think that you're too mad, let me just talk to your spouse for a couple of minutes and get what they really think, okay? I mean, like, listen, we, we, we were all sinners. That's what the Bible tells us, that every single one of us is a sinner. It tells us this in Romans chapter number 3, verse number 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not single one. Not one person. None of us are, are, are righteous, perfect, without sin. And he goes on in verse number 23, and he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Perfection. Every one of us has sinned. In case you, you, you still don't believe it, I want to say it one more time. You're a sinner. No matter how many good things that you do, you'll never be good enough to obtain eternal life. Like religion tells us to do on your own. No matter what, if you've sinned even once, the Bible says you're guilty of all and have fallen short of the glory of God or perfection. And perfection is the requirement to live eternity in the presence of God. And unfortunately, it gets even worse. Because not only are you a sinner and am I a sinner, but we're all condemned. The Bible tells us there's a payment that we have to pay because of our sin. In Romans 6, verse number 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is, is death. There's, there's a payment. That's what a wage is. It's, it's a payment that we, we have to pay. 
The consequence for sinning is that we have to pay this, this, this payment, this wage. And what is that wage? It's, it's death. The consequence is an eternity in a lake of fire. Revelation, we, we were talking the other day, and, uh, and Revelation is one of those books that oftentimes there's some confusing things. The book of Revelation, how many of you have read the book of Revelation or parts of the book of Revelation before? No idea what's happening. Okay. Yeah, me, both arms. All right. Okay. That's, that's me. All right. And, the, and, and it's like, what's happening here? But there's some parts that are pretty clear. In Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 14, the Bible says that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's eternal damnation. That's eternal punishment, eternal payment for our sins. Payment. For your sin is death. Someone has to die. And understand this. I can't die for you. I can't die for my kids. I love my kids with every part of me. Kanoa, many of you know, just a couple, about a month and a half ago or a little more than that, she fell off the trampoline and broke her arm. And, and oh man, that, there's nothing worse than watching your kids go through pain. If you've got children, you understand this. Um, it's, it's, it was the absolute worst moments of my life. I mean, like holding her there with her arm all been out of shape and, and holding her there. Listen, I broke my elbow and I told Tress, I said, I'd break my elbow a hundred times before I'd watch her go through that once. I mean, that was, that was an awful experience. Listen, as much as I, I would do anything to protect my kids, to, to save them, but, but listen, there's a problem. As we already talked about, I'm a sinner, okay? And you're a sinner. And every one of us is a sinner. And so if you died for someone, it, it really wouldn't make a difference. It really doesn't matter. Understand this, no, no priest or prophet can die for you. No priest or prophet can forgive you as for, of your sin because understand this, they are sinners as well. We already said, none righteous, no one's perfect. But that's where the wonderful news comes in. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Romans 5, verse number 8. It says this, but, but God commendeth, He demonstrated His love to you and me, to us. In that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. What was the, the payment for sin? What was it? It was death. And Jesus, what did He do? He died for you and for me. Now here's the difference between Him and me. Well, there's a lot of differences between Him and me, okay? But, but, but the biggest difference, can I tell you what it was? Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus never once failed. Jesus never once let his guard down and, and thought a wrong thought or, or gave in to, to his flesh. Jesus never did that. He dwelt on this earth for 33 and a half years and he never once sinned. And when he died on that cross in my place and in your place, you know what he did? He paid a payment that you and I couldn't pay. Why? But why? Because we're sinners. But he wasn't. He died on that cross as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He died in our place. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. This is amazing. For He hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Can I tell you what it's saying there? It's saying this. He died in your place. He died in my place. So that I could take on his righteousness. 
It's almost as if there I was, I was naked, and I didn't have anything to cover my sin. And Jesus Christ took His royal cloak, His royal righteousness, and He put it on me. He said, listen, I'm covering that sin for you. And now when the Father looks down, He doesn't see me. He doesn't see me in my sin. No, what does He see? He sees the righteousness of God on me. Because Jesus died. Now I mess up my, my collar. Thing. But anyway, listen, he died for me. He gave his righteousness to me. Isaiah prophesied of this in Isaiah 53, verse number 6. Let's get some Old Testament here. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. In 1 Peter chapter number 3, Peter makes it real, real, real clear in verse number 18. He says, for Christ also once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He says, listen, you're still going to die a physical death, but he says, listen, your spirit is being made alive. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He died in your place. He paid a payment that you could not pay. That's why that wonderful verse in verse, Romans chapter number 6, verse number 23. Well, it starts with the worst news possible. It ends with the best news possible. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift that's offered to you and to me. And Romans chapter number 10 tells us how we can receive it. Because, this, I mean, it's, I wish it was like a tangible gift, like a, like a gift wrapped in a, in a box. I mean, like, that would be really great, because then you could tangibly receive them. But that's not the way this. So how do you receive a gift of eternal life? I mean, like, that'd be a pretty big box. How do you receive that? The Bible tells us. I love it. I mean, the final authority tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you were. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you did die for me. And shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Oh, by the way, the other thing that makes him different from me is, listen, when he died, he didn't stay there. No, three days later, he rose again. You know what that was? It was a proof that he was who he said he was. You know where Muhammad is today? He's in the ground. You know where Buddha is today? He's in the ground. Joseph Smith, you know where he's at? He's in the ground. Brigham Young, you know where he's at? He's in the ground. Hey, every Baptist that's ever lived, you know where they are? Even John, the greatest one apparently. You know, John the Baptist. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, you know where John is? He, he's in the ground. You know where Jesus is? He's in the ground. There's an empty tomb. He's alive today. You know why? Because he was proving that he wasn't just a man like you and me. He was God in flesh. He was perfect. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart men believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The next verse, verse number 13, says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, it's a promise, shall be saved. But understand this. Understand this. This gift of eternal life, this gift that He offers to you, this gift that He offers to every Every single person, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, it's for everyone. This gift that he offers, understand this, it's just like any other gift. You can choose to receive it, but you can also choose to reject it. 
God will not force His gift on you. He offers it to you. Which means you can choose not to accept it. See, God God doesn't send people to hell because He refuses to save them. No, no, no. People go to hell, a lake of fire, for all of eternity. Why? Because they choose to reject Him. God doesn't send anybody to hell because he says, no, you you don't get to get in it. No, 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 no. He says, listen, I want you to accept my gift of eternal life. I want you to receive it. But if you stand there just like a kid that looks and says, I don't want that. Listen, if you reject it, he has no choice but to say, okay, you can have what you want. I give you this gift of eternal life. If you don't want it, then you can have eternal death. Can I tell you this? If, If... If you say no to Jesus' gift, you won't want the gift that you get. We say it so many times here from the church, from the pulpit. You understand that the devil doesn't want to go to hell? The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels, his demons. That's who it was created for. And yet every day, according to Isaiah chapter 5, hell is expanding itself without measure because people are dying that shouldn't go to hell. Why? Because they rejected the gift of God. The devil doesn't want to go to hell. It's no party down there. Why would you want to receive that and reject the gift of salvation so that you could receive eternal damnation? He offers you the gift of eternal life. And the only way you can receive it is by trusting in Christ. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But, but I am confessing that, that you died for me. I can't do it on my own. I put in my trust in you and you alone. That's what the Bible says. Friend, this morning, you received the gift of eternal life. It's very simple. It's a yes or no. I mean, like every person in this room, we could go through it, and maybe we should. I should just go through it. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done that? But, but we won't do it for sake of time, okay? But, but listen, uh, corporately, every one of you, answer in your own heart. Have you accepted that gift? Ha- has there ever been a moment in your life where you made that decision? I talked with somebody recently, and they said, oh, yeah, I pray every day. No, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here, Okay. We're not talking about praying every day. Listen, it's a Jesus died on the cross one time for your sins. And the Bible says that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior one time. You don't have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. No, no, no. It's a one-time decision that you make. And the Bible tells us this. Once you get saved, once you accept Christ as your Savior, according to the book of Ephesians chapter number one, he says that you're sealed into the day of your purchase redemption. What's that mean? He says, listen, you're sealed until you get to heaven. You're not kept by yourself. You're kept by or a God, according to First Peter chapter number one. You know what that means? It means even if you could jump out, you couldn't because the Holy Spirit keeps you, keeps you. It's God the Father that seals you. You cannot lose your salvation. It's a one-time decision. And when you make that decision, you can never lose it. Have you made that decision in your life before? If you haven't, can I tell you this? Today be, let today be the greatest day of your life. Listen, about a little over 11 years ago, I accepted Tressa as my wife, okay? So that's kind of a weird way to say that, okay? You know, listen, listen, she accepted me as her husband. That's really what happened, okay? She was like, yeah, that's the best I got. Okay, yeah, all right. So, yeah, listen, I, I married Tressa. And let me tell you, it was an amazing day. It, it was the second greatest day of my life. Second greatest day, that's... Kyle, this is kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the second day, greatest day of my life. Why? Because when I was nine years old... 
I accepted Christ as my Savior. I prayed, and, and, and God, I, I'm trusting in you and you alone. You said, Kyle, did you know everything at that point in time? No, I didn't. You know, I, I knew that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. That was what I knew. Can I, tell, can I let you in on a secret? I still don't know everything, okay? Listen, don't tell Tressa, but I still don't know everything, okay? I mean, like, and we're always growing. But listen, there has to come a point in your life where you accept Christ as your Savior. And if you've never done it, today can be the day. When I was in third grade, I remember that sitting there at that table and our teacher coming out and uh, he said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a test. It's going to be a different test. He said, but, but uh, we're going to take this test. He said, uh, I'll give you instructions in just a moment. He said, but I'm going to put the paper in front of you. He said, I, I don't want you to turn it over until I tell you. I remember I'm sitting there and listen, I, I, I was... I was not a good reader, but I was a good, you know, at like math and other things like that. And so I, I was ready for this test. I, was, I loved time tests, right? You know, doing that, what, you know, whenever you were a kid, they'd give, you, they'd give you a time test. And you go there and you, you go and fill it all out and everything. You'd fill out as many answers as you could at, at the beginning. And I knew that, that this has got to be what it is. And so sure enough, he goes and he puts the papers down in front of all of us. And he said, okay, here's what's going to happen. He said, in just a second, I'm going to tell you to go. And he said, when I say go, you're going to have 60 seconds, one minute to finish your test. I'm like, bring it on. Let's do this, okay? You know, I'm ready to go. I mean, like, I got my number two pencil right there with the blue eraser on the top. I've got the, the paper in front of me. I'm just waiting. I mean, my fingers are ready. I mean, fire's ready to go. I mean, here we go. All right, smoke's coming from this paper. I got this. And so as soon as he said go, I remember flipping that page over. And I, get, I mean, just going as fast as I could. I mean, just going through this test. I mean, writing as fast. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost there getting to it. And he said, okay, stop. And I'm like, I don't remember if I finished the test I mean, like, I, I was pretty proud of myself. It was good enough for a good grade. I just, I knew that, that I was going to get, and it wasn't really that hard of a test, and so I knew, you know, this was, I was going to get a good grade on this. I was pretty excited about it. I felt pretty good about myself. And I'm looking there, and I'm kind of beaming as, uh, you know, as we finished the test, and, and I'm all excited about it and things like that. I, I just knew, you know, I was going to get a good grade, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget what he did. He stopped, and he said, okay. So now how many of you read the instructions? Instru- who reads instructions? I mean, come on. Like, let's be serious. The first thing you do with instructions when you get them in something that you buy is you throw them in the garbage. That's what you do, okay? I mean, that's, I mean who reads instructions? I started all the way back when I was just a kid. And who read the instructions? Well, not me. There was a couple of kids there. I remember Kim- Kimberly. I'm not going to tell you her last name, but Kimberly. You'll look her up. I remember Kimberly. She was like this goody two-shoe that always, I mean, she always did a little bit better than me. It drove me nuts, okay? And she was in my class, and, and she was sitting there, and she raised her hand. I read the instructions. It's like, oh, nobody likes Kimberly. You know, I mean, like, it was like, really? And he said, can you read the instructions to the class? And at the top, it said this. It said, write your name at the top of the page. You don't have to answer any questions. You've completed the test. You know the one thing that I didn't do on that test? I didn't write my name at the top. <laughs> I remember sitting there going, you dirty dog. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, you got to. I was so mad. I was so angry. I mean, like, the fury came out. You know, they're my little third grade self. I was ready to fight. You know? I mean, like, especially Kimberly. You know, I was like, like bring it on. I mean, like, that's how you felt, you know. I mean, all you had to do was write your name at the top of the test. That's the only thing you had to do. You didn't have to do any of the work that was underneath it. Just your name. That was the only thing that mattered. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 20 that one day 
Every person stand before God. The book will be opened. Called the book of life. And on that day, it, it won't matter what you've done. How much work you have done. It won't matter if you went to church, or, or if you were baptized, or if you gave money to the church, or, or you helped old ladies cross the road. Okay, It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter about the works that you did. The only thing that matters is if your name is written down in that book. And the only way you can have your name written down is if you trust Christ as your Savior. You see, there's destructive power in just one sin. So you can miss heaven by an inch, a mile. You can miss it by a whole lot more than that. But there's only one way that you're getting it. Just as powerful as one sin is in destructiveness, there's so much power in the hope of one decision when you accept Christ as your Savior. Today, friend, I don't know who's, who's all here. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. Maybe there's the first time you've ever entered the door of a church. You're afraid that the whole building's going to collapse. I don't know. Okay. But I know this. Whoever you are, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never said, you know what, okay, I'm going to make this the final authority, and according to what this book says, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness of my sins. If you've never done that, I hope today you'll make the one most powerful decision and accept Him as your Savior. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed today. As we finish the service, we always do this. This is something that we do.